Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. This evening we're going to begin a a series that I'm not exactly sure. I'm thinking five or six weeks, maybe seven. We'll see how long it goes, how many Sunday nights. Uh, I've entitled it Counseling Classics. What I mean by that is these are really, as I counsel folks, sometimes there are some common struggles, some common themes, some common situations in the human experience, in the human condition, in, the, in our Christian lives. And it seems like often I am going to specific passages or specific principles, specific truths, and they come up throughout the years over and over again uh, in, in those times of counsel. And there might be a, a lesson that I've taught, or a message that I've preached, or a, 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 a passage that I've studied. And in those one-on-one sessions, I'll say, well, here's a truth you need to understand about this. And I got thinking about it as I was doing some counseling in the last several months, um, how, how often some of these things came up, and some of these, uh, these thoughts came up uh, walking through things. And so that's really what this is, I guess, is a big counseling session. It's just preaching some principles that I think are pretty, pretty applicable, and I pray are powerful, they're biblical truths, um, in our lives and for our growth. And so they're going to hit on a variety of different uh, topics, different texts, different passages. It's not a verse-by-verse study through a book, and like I said, probably somewhere in the range of six to eight of them is probably where we'll end up. Uh, but tonight, we're going to find ourselves in the book of Job. And if you're going to get uh, everything that you could out of this message, you're going to have to look and see and turn to a good bit of Scripture tonight throughout the book of Job. Uh, we're at, we're, in some ways, we're going to give kind of a—and this isn't for my Journey Through the Word series, the survey of Job, but we're going to kind of give a, a survey of Job. We're going to begin in Job 1, and we're going to make our way all the way to the end of Job. And we're going to look at a good bit of Scripture along the way. I know sometimes, especially if it's been a long day or you're tired or whatever the case may be, it, it, you, if you have your, your, your audience, the congregation, looking down at Scripture a whole a lot of times, especially if it's on your phone and there's the temptation to, to scan over to something else, um, if you do that, sometimes there's the tendency or the, 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 the uh, tendency or danger of distraction coming, and you can kind of lose that attention. So I'm going to ask you um, to see the Scripture for yourself and to follow along, and if you do, I believe we'll see some things that will really help us when walking through struggles, when walking through trials from the life of Job. You know the saying, don't you? When it rains, it… when it rains, it pours, meaning when things start to go bad, it seems like a bunch of it, it gets, it gets worse. And, it, you know, when one thing happens, then another thing uh, piles onto that. When it rains, it pours. I'm going to show you, and we're going to look at tonight what may be the worst day that anybody other than our Lord Jesus Christ, when He took upon Him the sins of the whole world on the cross, other than that day, what we're going to look at may be the worst day that anyone in the history, uh, in, in, in the course of human history, the history of the world, has ever experienced. In Job, in chapter number one, I want you to see it there, in Job chapter number one, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, there should be one in the pew rack in front of you. 
This may be the worst day that any sinful human being has experienced, and we're going to try to learn some things. I'm going to ask you to stay with me through our introduction, and then we'll apply some thoughts. Job chapter 1, beginning in verse number 13. And there was a day when his, that is Job, his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. By the way, we skipped the first 13 verses. I think most of us understand that Job, if we were to use New Testament terminology, Christian is a New Testament word, a follower of Christ, but if we were to use New Testament terminology, we would say Job was the greatest Christian on earth. He was the greatest follower of God that walked on earth. And if you read the first 13 verses, you see that when Satan came and he said, and God says, and Satan basically says, your whole creation is, is, is a bunch of, they've, they've all gone off the deep end. And God said, have you, thought, have you considered Job? Do you know my servant Job? That's a faithful man right there. That's a man that loves God and eschews evil. He does right. He's a man upright. He's a man of integrity. Job is a righteous man, and God himself pointed that out to Satan. And, and there was a day when his sons and daughters, Job was also a blessed man, a very rich man. He had, he had a, a, a booming business. He had properties. He had servants. He had family that loved him and loved each other. Job was living a wonderful life. And they, were, they were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house, verse 14, and there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing, and the asses feeding beside them, and the Sabians fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. If we were to maybe try to put it in today, it was, it was a financial advisor called and said, Your entire portfolio has just crashed. Your business is messed up, and not only that, but a bunch of people that you love and invested in, they're killed, they're gone, and I'm the only one left. Verse number 16, while he was yet speaking, while that, while that man was telling Job that report, there came also another and said, the fire of God has fallen from heaven, and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee, look at the next verse, verse 17, while he was yet speaking. There came also another, when it rains, it pours. And said the Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Verse 18, would you read it aloud with me? Ready, begin. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. I have to imagine this guy comes and gives him the snooze. What? And then another guy comes. Hey, I got, Job, Job. He runs in. Job, I got to let you know what's going on. And another, right when he finishes, what, what is it? And then, hey, Job, all your kids were together in a house, and I have to imagine that sinking feeling. What, what, what could this be? Surely no. No, no, Lord. I can deal with the business reversal. No, I can deal with, with that. What, what is it? Verse number 19, and behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead, and I only am escaped alone to tell, to tell thee. In the span of a few moments, Job's entire life was taken from him. The richest man in the east lost everything, his business, his servants, and worst of all, his ten children. All that he has left is his health and his wife. And I said this in a few messages a few weeks ago in a message, by the way, if all you have is your health and, and love from loved ones, you're still a pretty rich person. Health and love, to have that in your life, all he has left is his health and his wife. And now look 
at verse chapter 2, look at verse number 7. So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils. Basically what happened in between the verses we didn't read there. So God does all of, I'm sorry, Satan does all of this to Job, and Job responds with worship. Job says, blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. Hey, I'm not going to turn my back on God. It doesn't matter what I lose. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And Satan said, Satan being the deceiver and the liar and the wicked one that he is, he came and said, well, of course, he still has his health and he still has his wife. And God said, you can touch his body, but you can't kill him. So now in verse number seven, so went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. And he took him a pot to scrape himself with owl, and he sat down among the ashes. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. So all he had left was his health and his relationship with his wife, and now basically both of those are gone. He's a sick man from the tip of his toes to the top of his head. His wife is telling, what kind of a fool are you? You're still going to live for God? You're still going to do all that after what he's allowed? Curse God and die. What's the use, Job? And before we're too hard on, on his wife, think about what she had just been through. I understand spiritually speaking, she shouldn't have responded that way, but humanly speaking, I think we can understand some of those emotions. He has three friends that come to comfort him, and, and all they do is tear him to pieces. I think Job's friends might be where the saying came from, with friends like these, who needs enemies? They weren't the greatest of friends. They basically come, and the bulk of Job, when you read Job, Job's one, Job chapters 1 and 2 is really the loss of Job, uh, all the loss, and, and the attacks of Satan. And then you get to the end, and we're going to get there in, in a little bit, but really about 38, 39 chapters in the middle, it's just conversations. It's a poetic book, but it's conversations between Job and his friends, his friends amongst themselves. Job, sometimes God will interject and, and will speak in there. And it's just these conversations of a grieving man with three people that said they were coming to comfort him, but did nothing but basically attack his character, question his integrity, and tell him he deserved everything he had coming to him. So this is where we are. Job has his entire world turned upside down, and truthfully, there is, you read that, there's no way to recover from what he's experienced. Humanly speaking, you can't bring ten children that have died back from the dead. There was no possible light at the end of the tunnel here, and Job hadn't done anything to deserve this. This, this judgment, this pain, these trials, they were not results of his sin. God literally said of him, he's a perfect and an upright man, one that fears God and eschews evil. These were trials that were allowed by God. They were not sent from God. They were from Satan, but they were allowed by God. And it's a reminder that, as I've said before, and I heard my, my pastor say many times, all of our fiery trials are father-filtered. There is no trial that comes into our life that God does not know about and that God does not allow and that God cannot use for our good and for His glory. So this was not judgment from God, but it was allowed. God allowed Satan to bring these things into Job's life. Job didn't deserve any of this. This wasn't the consequence of a sinful life he was living. And, and again, using a New Testament term, in fact, he was the best Christian on earth. He was the most righteous follower of God on planet earth at the time. We often think of the wonderful way that Job responded in the trial, and we're going to get to that a little bit later, and I already mentioned a little bit of it here, but I think it's good to see the raw emotion and pain that Job faced in the midst of his trial. I want you to see the feelings he felt 
And you might be able to relate sometimes of heartache. Sometimes I think we get in our minds, well, I'm not Moses, I'm not Abraham, I'm not Paul, I'm not, I'm not Timothy, I'm not, and we, we get this idea that these people had kind of some special ability and, and, and some inner fortitude that we didn't have. They were made of just the same stuff you and I were made of. They had access to the same Holy Spirit that we have access to. They serve the same God that we serve. And sometimes I think, well, I, and I, I think it's helpful, I know for me, when the disciples doubt. It helps me. Like, okay, I doubt sometimes. And I want you to see, yes, Job responded well, but I want you to see some things. Feel some of the emotions. And this is where you're going to need to pay attention well and, and flip in your Bibles. Look at Job chapter number 3, verse number 11. Yes, he did say, blessed be the name of the Lord, but I want you to see what else he felt in the middle of his trial when the the grieving began, and and he's been, for a week now, he's been sitting silent, and and reality has set in, my life will never be the same. Job 3, verse 11, would you read it aloud? Ready? Begin. Why died I not from the womb? Why did I not give up the ghosts when I came out of the belly? Why am I alive? What's the purpose of my life? Why couldn't God have just let me die when I was born? Turn with me, if you will, over to chapter 6. Chapter number 6, verse number 8. This one that we view, and, and, and rightly so, for his great response, but look at one of his responses. Chapter 6, verse number 8. Oh, that I might have my request, and that God would grant me the thing that I long for. What is that? Even that it would please God to destroy me. That he would let loose his hand and cut me off. Chapter 10, verse number 1. Chapter 10, verse number 1, look what he says. My soul is weary of my life. I will leave my complaints upon myself. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. I, I think maybe in today's vernacular, if we were to use today's medical terminology, we would say Job that probably here is clinically depressed. There's a deep depression that is set on Job's, on Job's soul. He says, he says, I am weary. My soul is weary of my life. I don't even want to be here. Turn over six more chapters. Chapter 16, verse number 11. Look at Job's feelings. Look at where he was in the midst of his trial. Job 16, verse number 11. God hath delivered me to the ungodly and turned me over into the hands of the wicked. Verse number 12. I was at ease. Life was good. But he hath broken me asunder. He hath also taken me by my neck and shaken me to pieces and set me up for his mark. God is against me. God has hurt me. God, what is he doing? He's broken me. Chapter 17, verse number 15, and where is now my hope? As for my hope, who shall see it? A, A dangerous place to be, to be in a place of hopelessness. Look at chapter 19, verse number 10. Chapter 19, verse number 10. He hath destroyed me on every side, and I am gone, and my hope hath he removed like a tree. He's in utter hopelessness. My life, I don't understand. I tried to live for God. How could this come into my life? I don't understand what God's doing. He's broken me asunder. He's taken me like a rag doll by the neck and broken me into pieces. Chapter 23, verse number 8. 
8, chapter 23, verse number 8, look what he says. He says, behold, I go forward, but he is not there, and backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand that I cannot find him. I'm trying to find God in the midst of this struggle, in the midst of this heartache, in the midst of this heartbreak, in the midst of this trial, and where is he? I looked over here, and I can't find him, and I go over here, and I can't find him, and I know where he's worked before, on the right hand, and he's not there, and on the left hand that he's not there. Do you feel the utter despair, despondency? What's the point of my life? Why won't God just let me die? Look at verse, uh, look at chapter 30, skip over to chapter 30, verse number 19. Chapter 30, verse number 19. He hath cast me into the mire, and I am become like dust and ashes. Maybe that's where you find yourself tonight, or where you may find yourself somewhere in the weeks, the months, the years to follow. I've heard it, I've heard a pastor say, he said, you're either, you're either coming out of a trial, in a trial, or about to go into a trial. I think it was, it, was it Solomon that said it, that, that the uh, days of man are few and full of trouble? I'm not a depressed guy. I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a pessimist. I'm not one that's always looking for the, the rain clouds in life. But the reality of living in a sinful fallen world is that there are trials. There are struggles. There are disappointments. There are betrayals. There are heartaches and heartbreaks. There are financial reversals. There is job loss. There are phone calls about a, a medical condition that you didn't want to hear about. Those things are part of the world in which we live. And sometimes, yes, I think we ought to say the Lord give and the Lord take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But the reality is we're made of the same stuff Job is. And just as Job was strong to say those things in Job 1 and 2 and tell his wife, aren't you foolish, woman? He was also the one that, that throughout the, the coming days and weeks and months also struggled with times of hopelessness, times of despair, times of torment, times uh, wondering what is God doing? And tonight, my message I want to bring to you is this. That even if it seems hopeless, even if it seems this trial is one too big, God can't, can't use this one. I can never get better. Tonight I want to tell you that God has the power to heal, to forgive, to restore in any situation. Tonight the title of my message is this, How to Get to Chapter 42. How to Get to Chapter 42. You see, and I could have pulled out a bunch more verses, I didn't for the sake of time, showing Job's hopelessness. But do but you understand, in Job 1 and 2, we, we get the spoiler alert. We get to read the book from beginning to end. Spoiler alert, by the way, if you've never read it, it gets really good in chapter 42. I'm going to bring you to it tonight. But when Job's living it, he doesn't know there's chapter 42. When you're in Job 1, you can't imagine what Job 2 looks like. Job 1 is as bad as it gets, and then you find out in Job 2 that I lose my health and my good relationship with my wife. And she tells me to curse God and die while I'm sitting there scraping my skin off with pieces of broken pieces of clay because I'm in such pain and torment, sitting in ashes. And then three friends come, and all they do is just badger me from one angle to another about how bad I am. And when I'm in Job 6 and Job 7, and when I'm saying, why didn't God just let me be killed at birth? Well, why did God let me live? I wish God would answer my prayer and just take me to heaven. I'm done with this earth. He didn't know in those chapters that we read that Job 42 was coming. 
But we're going to see the beautiful power of restoration. In fact, let's go there so you don't have to wait too long to, to hear the good news. We all like to hear the good news at the end of the story. Job 42, I want you to see what happens. And, and again, in chapter 35, he didn't know how it would end. In chapter 22, it seemed hopeless, impossible. In chapter 18, he had no hope. He was weary. His soul was weary of his life. But he didn't know that chapter 42 was coming. And, I, and by the way, when we're walking through Sometimes it seems this is the end of the world. This one is the big one. I can never get over it. If you're still alive, God can heal. God can redeem. God can, can, can restore. God can bring you through. God can give strength and new life. When you're hopeless and you think there's nothing there, God can give you a fresh vision. God can do it. But when you're in the middle of it, it seems like it's impossible. Job 42, look at verse number 11. Then came there unto him all his brethren, and all his sisters, and all they that had been of his acquaintance before, those that knew him pre-Job 1 and 2, and did eat bread with him in his house. And they bemoaned him and comforted him over all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. Every man also gave him a piece of money, and every one an earring of gold. They were doing what they could to encourage him. Now notice this. Would you read verse number 12 aloud with me? Ready? Begin. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than the beginning, for he had 14,000 sheep and 6,000 camels and a thousand yoke of oxen and a thousand she asses. Isn't that a beautiful verse? The Lord, the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. We're not talking about God took somebody that was just struggling to survive, that had no joy in his life, had no blessings, and gave him a little blessings. We're talking about the richest man in the East that was also the most righteous man on earth. And the Bible says, and after all of this, God blessed him more at the end than he had blessed him at the beginning. He gave him more at the end. Look at verse number 13. He had also, look at this, seven sons and three daughters. And he called the name of the first Jemima, and the name of the second Kezia, and the name of the third Karen Hapik, and in all the land where no women found so fair as the daughters of Job. And their father gave them inheritance among their brethren. Look at this. After, this is a beautiful verse, verse 16. After this, after what? After the darkest trial of his life, when he thought life was over, when he said, why am I here? Why didn't God let me die at birth? Why? I have no hope. I'm weary of my life. God has broken me to pieces. There is no reason to live. After this, Job lived in 140 years and saw his sons and his son's sons, even four generations. So Job died being old and full of age. There was with God's plan a chapter 42 that Job could never have imagined in chapter 23. God gave him 140 more years of blessing when he was ready to die that day. He gave him exactly twice as much material goods. You look at the number of sheep and oxen, it's twice as much as he had. He gave him the same number of, and gender of children. I'm not saying that those kids replaced them, but and there would have still always been a, a hurt and a, and, 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 a, and a longing undoubtedly and a scar there and a pain on those special days. But what did God do? What, is, what do I see in that picture? God said, I can give you family joys again. Now it doesn't make up for the fact that there, there's, some, there's some hurt there 
for those that you've lost, but you have family joys again. Job saw 10 more little babies born. Job had a bunch more birthday parties and family barbecues and get-togethers. Job found the joy of family. Job had his health restored. He had physical healing. Obviously, if he had 10 children, he, he had a restored relationship with his wife. God brought all of these things, and then he died being full of days, old and full of days. Isn't that a great statement? 140 years of blessing after all hope was gone. And this thought with Job comes up often when I'm meeting with somebody that's walking through some of the deepest, darkest moments of their life. I can recall three or four years ago, people that I love dearly, and as they sat in my office, it's over. We're done. This can't work. Our, our lives are destroyed. They're shattered. And I brought them to this passage. And I said, if you'll respond correctly, if you'll learn some things here, I believe that God has years of blessing and years of joy and years of fulfillment and years of his will for you on the other side, even if it seems hopeless today. Job 42. What a beautiful story, a wonderful ending. Job didn't know that when he was in the trial. How did it happen from Job 2 to Job 42? It took 40 chapters. I want us to remember this before we get into the heart of the message. This is all the introduction, and you listened well. I want us to remember this. Job isn't three chapters long. We like, we want our, our season, whatever our Job season looks like, we want it to be three chapters long, don't we? Pain, pain, fix it all. Job isn't three chapters long. I didn't say how to get to chapter 3. In fact, it got worse in chapter 3 before it got better. I said how to get to chapter 42. I don't like those 40 chapters in the middle. I don't like that waiting time, that hopeless time, that hurting time, that painful time. But how did it happen? So maybe tonight you find yourself in Job 1 or 2. You've got some news you weren't expecting. Maybe you find yourself in Job 20 or 30. You're in the middle of a season that you wonder, will it ever end? Will it ever get better? How do we get to chapter 42? When the trials of life come, I believe that the God Job served is the God we serve. And, and yes, I understand God has a different plan for everyone, but I believe that God can restore. He can give joy in the morning, and how will we do it? I think we can learn some things from the life of Job. I want to give you four thoughts how Job got to chapter 42. Number one, how do we get to chapter 42? I see, first of all, a correct response in the trial. Turn back, all the way back to Job 1. We're going to look at some things. We're going to, I told you we're going to turn a little bit. I want you to see it for yourself. I've already mentioned these verses a little bit. How do we get to chapter 42? A correct response in the trial. Job chapter number 1, verse number 21. Verse 20, what does he say? Then Job arose, ran his mantle, shaved his head, fell upon the ground, and worshipped, and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Verse 22, would you read it aloud? Job 1, 22, ready, begin. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Skip over to chapter 2. What did he say after his wife told him to curse God and die? Chapter 2, verse number 10, but he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speak. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of, the, of God? Shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. What an amazing response. I worship you. In the biggest trial, heartache, disappointment, reversal of my life, you're good. I'm not going to sin with my lips. 
You, I came in naked, I'm going out naked, blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, he sinned not nor charged God foolishly. We forfeit so much blessing and benefit from trials because of how we react and respond in those trials. So often when a trial comes, we, we react emotionally, we react carnally, we, we say something we shouldn't have said, we respond in a way we shouldn't have responded, we send off a text message, we make a decision, I'm out of here, I'm done with this marriage, I'm done with that church, I'm done with this family. I'm out of this state. I'm, and we, res we respond in the heat of passion and in the heart of emotion. And how many lives have been destroyed? How many blessings have been forfeited because we didn't respond correctly in the trial? Hardships came and we reacted in the flesh, not the spirit. What did Job do? He worshiped. He didn't try to figure it out. He didn't try to fix it. He couldn't have done either. He worshiped. What did he do for a week? He sat down and was silent. He mourned. By the way, it's probably a good pattern for us. In the midst of deep trial, probably good to turn this off and to turn this on. Probably good in our lives uh, to, to, to be careful about how we respond. We blame God. We blow up relationships. How many people have you and I seen in our lives, if we've been saved for any length of time, or really just lived on this earth for any length of time, who became upset, bitter, uh, angry people because of a trial? They miss out on chapter 42 because of their response in the trial. I've known of people that had a deep heartache. I've talked to people. I've known people in church and in other places. I've talked to people where I'll invite them to church. I'm never stepping foot in a church again. Well, why is that? Well, I had, and they'll, they'll say some trial in their life. And I prayed for God to fix it, and He didn't fix it when I wanted Him to in the way that I wanted Him to. I'm done with Him. How much blessing have they missed in a relationship with God? Why? Because of a wrong response in the trial. We blow things up. They missed the 140 years of Job 42. After the trial, Job was quiet for seven days. A lot of wisdom there. I heard one preacher say it this way. Don't make any major decisions when your decision maker is broken. You know, in the middle of a trial, it's a terrible time to make major decisions. You're not thinking straight. You're reacting probably, if you're anything like your pastor, emotionally, sometimes fleshly, acting in anger or in hopelessness, saying things you wish you hadn't said, doing things you wish you hadn't done. Be careful about those things. What did Job do? He just sat down and waited on the Lord. You know what? I'm not in a good place right now. I don't understand it. I hate it. I wish it was over. I'm hopeless. I don't see how it can get any better. I don't know why God would do this to me. Those were all his responses. I showed you those in Job. And you know what he did? Even in the midst of all of that, he worshiped. He didn't sin with his lips. He didn't charge God foolishly. How many lives have been destroyed because of a wrong response in the trial? Number two, how did Job get to 40, chapter 42? Number two, a closer relationship through the trial. Let's turn back. We're playing sword drill tonight. Turn back to Job 40. All the way back to the end, Job 40, right before he's getting close to getting to, to chapter number two. I'm sorry, 42. Job chapter number 40, look at verse number 3. Job 40, verse number 3. I want you to see this. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am what church? I am what? What? I'm vile. Wait a second. What, what did God say about Job himself in chapters 1 and 2? It's a man that's perfect, meaning complete, upright, one that fears God, eschews evil. This is a good man. 
And you know what? Even good men can grow closer to God in the midst of trials. The closer you get to the holiness of God, the more you see the vileness of yourself. And I believe as Job drew closer to God, he realized his own sinfulness. He said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay mine hand upon my mouth. By the way, Job had kind of tried to answer God. If you read the book, they had kind of gone back and forth. In some ways, Job had kind of tried to speak for God and do those things. And he realized, you know what? I'm just going to be quiet. God, I'm going to stop trying to speak on your behalf, trying to figure out, I'm going to let you speak. Look what he says, verse number five. Once have I spoken, but I will not answer. Yea, twice, but I will proceed no further. I'm done trying to figure it out. I'm going to trust you. Then look at the first four words of Job 6. Then answered the Lord. God begins to give some answers when Job comes to the place of, you know what? I'm not who I need to be. I want to grow closer to you through this. I'm vile. I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to start listening. And God said, now I have somebody that I can mold and I can shape. And I, it wasn't God's, I shouldn't say it wasn't his plan. God is sovereign, but it wasn't, uh, this was not judgment from God, but God said, even this undeserved uh, trial, if you will, I can use for your glory. But it was when Job drew closer, a closer relationship, blessed be the name of the Lord. The best Christian on earth drew closer to God because of his trial. I've said this quote before, suffering often compels us to seek the God that success makes us think we don't need. If we, if we allow it, God can use trials to bring us closer to him. Now here's the reality. You've probably heard it said, the same sun that softens the butter hardens the clay. The same trial that draws some people closer to God pushes some people away. Some that grow more tender toward God, others become bitter and angry. But if you want to get to chapter 42, you know what I see with Job? He didn't get bitter. He didn't get angry. He allowed the trial that might have caused some to, to curse God as his wife did. He, he might have would have allowed, caused some. Job said, I'm not going to do that. In fact, I'm going to admit, I don't deserve anything. You're everything. Job said, he, he was not being punished, but Job said in Job chapter number 23, verse number 10, but he knoweth the way that I take, and when he has tried me, I shall come forth as what, church? Gold a closer relationship. I trust him in ways I never have. He knows what's happening here, and I don't. And I just have a faith that when he's done with this, I'll be more valuable. I'll be more purified. I'll be more precious. I'll I'll, I'll be, God will have molded me and shaped me in greater ways. And so I think a good a good thing to ask ourselves is, has God allowed, sometimes trials are, they are, they are results of their consequences of our sinful decisions. If tonight, if I go and I get drunk and then I go drive on the highway and I get, I get uh, arrested and I get pulled over and I get uh, arrested for DUI and they take me to jail, I'm not, I'm not, that's not the life of Job. I'm not suffering. He's not purifying me. That is the consequence of my sin. Some trials are deserved, if you will. They are consequences for our sin. Others are things that God can use to purify us. 
Has God allowed a trial in your life to purify you and bring you closer to him? I I don't believe that any of us will make it to chapter 42 until we allow our trial to draw us closer. God, what are you trying to teach me? When you're hurting, don't drift away from God. Draw nigh to God. One pastor said said it this way, when, when you're struggling, don't grow bitter, get better. Don't get bitter, get better. Allow God to mold us, to purify us. So how do we get to chapter 42? By the way, I hope that none of us face a day like Job, and probably none of us will, but all of us will taste a flavor of the heartaches that Job has tasted, and some of us already have. And when we're in Job 1 or 2 or 30 or 40, how do we get to chapter 42? One, a correct response in the trial. Don't charge him foolishly. Don't respond in anger or bitterness or fleshliness. Slow down. Sit down. Be quiet. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm going to try to trust you. Yes, I'm hopeless and it hurts and I don't understand it, but then you would see in Job 23, he knows the way that I take and when he had tried me, I'll come forth as gold. A correct response in the trial, a closer relationship through the trial. When you're struggling, it's not the time to sit out of church. When you you least feel like walking into this building is probably when you most need to. When you least feel like opening up this book on your own to read it is probably when you and I most need to. When we least feel like praying to God is probably when we most need to allow that trial to bring a closer relationship through the trial. Number three, how do we get to Job chapter number 42? I want to suggest, turn to chapter 42, and we're going to see it. Look at chapter 42, verse number one, complete reliance because of the trial. We have to get to a place that we say, God, I don't understand you, but I trust you. I don't get it, but I'm going to go ahead by faith and follow you. Chapter 42, verse number 1. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything. Do you see that? God, I believe you are all-powerful. You are omniscient. No thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he? We sing that song, Behold Our God. It comes from some of this. Who is thee that hideth counsel without knowledge? Who has given counsel to the Lord? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not. God, I said some stuff that I shouldn't have said. I thought some things I shouldn't have thought. Things too wonderful for me which I knew not. Here I beg you, I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee, wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. God, I've come to the end of myself, and it's the beginning of my trust in you. God, I don't understand it, but I trust you. Before we see that God gave him all of those joys, Job had to come to a place of complete reliance through the trial, because of the trial. God, I don't understand you, but I trust you. Church member, don't uproot in fear what you planted in faith. When you can't trace God, trust him. By the way, that's really what faith is, isn't it? Trusting when you don't understand. What is Job saying? God, I tried to figure it out, and and I'm sorry. I said some things I I shouldn't have. I'm done figuring it out, but I'm going to trust that you have it all figured out. And isn't it interesting? When Job got to that place— that he said, I'm done trying to figure it out, and I'm going to trust that you have it all figured out, is when God said, I think I've done my work in Job. I think, I think I can bless him in ways he never imagined. I think I can give him joys he never thought he'd have again. Job 42, that blessing came after that. What does the Bible say in Proverbs chapter number 3? 
Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. A correct response in the trial. A closer relationship through the trial. A complete reliance because of the trial. And then lastly, number four. Compassion on his rivals after the child. Trial. Look at chapter 42, verse number 10. I think this is, uh, no it's not. I was going to say the last verse. We're going to look at two more. Look at, would you read verse number 10 aloud with me? Chapter 42, verse number 10. Ready? Begin. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Job sought no revenge on those who had hurt him. Instead, he prayed for them. And here, I didn't put this in the Bible. Then God turned his captivity. God, you know they've hurt me. And you know it was undeserved. And you know what they said was wrong. And his friends were wrong. They were wrong in what they said. They were wrong in how they said it. And you know what Job said? God, I hold no ill will on that person that hurt me. God, I forgive them, and God, would you help them? Then God turned his captivity. When Job got to the place that he could say, I hold no bitterness toward anyone. I hold no animosity. I'm not trying to get even. I'm going to be free. I'm going to forgive that one that hurt me so deeply. I'm going to be free of that bitterness. Then God turned his captivity. Then God gave him 140 years of joy. Then God gave him 140 years of blessing. Then God gave him a, a better business than he had before. Then his portfolio exploded. Then his family exploded. Then when, when he had compassion on his rivals after the trial, no revenge, no bitterness, this is vital. If God is going to use a trial for our good and for his glory, it's vital that we have no bitterness in the midst of that trial. And that's a natural response for all of us, but we need to get to the place. And Job didn't get there for 40 chapters, but he got to the place that he prayed for his friends, and then God turned his captivity. You're struggling with joy tonight. Because you keep hanging on to that vengeance, that bitterness, that animosity. And it seems like that trial will never end. It consumes you. I think maybe for some of us, we need to come to that place that we pray for those who have hurt us. We forgive those who have hurt us. Is God waiting for you to forgive those who have hurt you before he helps you? Can I say that one more time? Is God waiting for you to forgive those who have hurt you before he helps you? I'm not God, and I don't know the answer to that question, but that's what happened with Job. I can't explain it all, but in the, in the timeline of the book, God didn't bless Job again with all of that until after Job had forgiven those who had hurt him. The truth is, when we face the trials of our lives, we all want chapter 42, don't we? When we're in Job 1, or our version of Job 1, Ryan 1, Ryan 2, and it's not nearly as bad as Job's, but it feels that way. And when you're in Andy 1, or Andy 2, or Nancy 1, Nancy 2, when you're in those chapters, we all want to get right there to Job 42, don't we? How are we doing following the example of Job in the midst of our trials? And these are some thoughts that I've given many folks that are walking through deep valleys. One is, understand the God we serve can bring joy again even when it seems impossible. 
He can bring love again, even when it seems impossible. He can bring healing to something that feels like it could never be healed. That's one thing that I share in counseling is Job 42 does exist, but it takes some time. And I could pull some other thoughts from here, but the four I want to leave you with tonight is a correct response. You've got, you and I need to respond correctly in the trial. A closer relationship through the trial. God, allow this to draw me closer to you, not farther. Complete reliance because of the trial. God, can't trace you, but I trust you. You know the way that I take, and when, I, when I'm tried, I'll come forth as gold and compassion on our rivals after the trial. Are we following Job's example to get there? Some, if you're like me, sometimes you might play devil's advocate. You might say, well, maybe that's just how it worked out for Job. I want to take you to one last passage, and then we're done. Can we do that? Let's go to Genesis 50. Genesis chapter number 50, another man that was unbelievably blessed of God, and then he faced unbelievable, irreparable, irreversible trials. Genesis chapter number 50, I think most of us are familiar with a man named Joseph. Not the father of Jesus, but the Old Testament Joseph. You remember Joseph? The one that his dad loved? The one that was a, a good brother? The one that faced a trial and a betrayal that he didn't deserve? The one who was sold into slavery, ended up in, in, in the pit, in the palace, in Potiphar's house, and, and Potiphar's wife lied against him. And, and by the way, when Job was, I'm sorry, when Joseph was sold into slavery, that trial was irreversible. He's never going to know the joy of family ever again. He's in another country working for another government. There is no Skype. There is no FaceTime. There is no Facebook. There are no iPads. There are no phones. There are no telegraphs or telegrams. He's never going to see his dad again. He's never going to see his mom again. He's never going to see his brothers again. He's never going to see any nieces and nephews. He's never going to attend any family weddings because some people mistreated him, not for anything he did, but just because they were wicked and jealous and insecure, they had done some things that forever changed Joseph's life. And I want you to see that even in the midst of all of that, there was, and I don't have time to preach his whole life, but there was a Genesis 50. He experienced unbelievable betrayal and trial as his brothers sold him into slavery. He was lied about, falsely accused, unjustly imprisoned. He did right. He ended up in jail. Brutal trials he didn't deserve, never going to have hope to see his dad ever again. Yet we see, even in the midst of all of that, a correct response in the trial. We find that out because when his brothers come, what does he tell them? You meant it for evil, but God meant it for in the midst of that trial, he responded correctly. He didn't get bitter. A closer relationship because of the trial. I know that God's working good things in my life, and so I don't hold it against you guys. And they were scared to death. They lied to him. They said, hey, Joseph, hey, uh, uh, right before uh, dad, dad wanted uh, to tell you, he was on his deathbed, and he wanted us to tell you uh, that, that you're not supposed to be vengeful for me. You're not supposed to get even with me. And he begins to weep. He says, guys, that's nowhere in my, in my thoughts. No, no, no. God has used this trial to let me see who he is. I trust him. He works all things together for good to those who love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. He hadn't even read Romans 8.28, but he was already living it back in Genesis. Oh, no, no. No, a correct response, a closer relationship. And by the way, did Joseph have any compassion on his rivals? He brought his brothers and gave them jobs and gave them food. You know, he had the power. He could have put them all in jail. You sold me to slavery? Let's see how you like it. <laughs> Who's the big man now? Who's got the power now, boys? 
You didn't know you were going to come see me when you came walking in here looking for food, did you? Humanly speaking, we wouldn't have blamed Joseph for that response, but what did Joseph have compassion on his rivals after the trial? And I want you to see it. Oh, man, this is beautiful. I love the, I love the turn of phrase here in chapter number 50, verses 22 and 23. And Joseph dwelt in Egypt. He was never supposed to be in Egypt. He was only there because people mistreated him. But God can use things that you, you probably never should have experienced. He can use them through his sovereignty for his good, for your good and for his glory. Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house. What? He was never supposed to see anybody from his father's house. And Joseph, look at this, lived a hundred and ten years. He was left for dead in a pit. He was sold into slavery to the Egyptians. He was forgotten about in the prison. He was lied about in Potiphar's house. And Joseph saw Ephraim, oh, I love this. Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation, the children also of Maker, the of Manasseh were brought up upon Joseph's knees. Oh, I love that phrase. They were brought up upon Joseph's knees. You know what I picture when I read that? It says his whole father's house, and he saw them to the third generation. This man that undoubtedly had night after night lying in a prison saying, God, what did I ever do? All I did was turn away an ungodly, lustful temptation from a beautiful woman. All I did was try to be honest and hardworking, and this is my lot in life. God, what did I do to not see my dad or my brothers ever again? God, God, how could you ever make this good? But somewhere and somehow, Joseph responded correctly. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Somehow, Joseph grew closer to God through the trial. Somehow, Joseph learned to trust God, not his own wisdom, and he had compassion on his rivals. And what did God do? He said, I've got three generations of family you thought you'd never see again, and you're going to bring them up upon your knees. And I picked Joseph saying, hey, come over here and see Uncle Joseph. Let me see that little—you lost a tooth last night? Oh, let me see that tooth. Uncle Joseph's the tooth fairy. Here's ten shekels. I don't even know if shekels is what they had in Genesis, but whatever they gave. And, and hey, here's Uncle, Uncle Joseph's got a birthday, and I have to think that Joseph would go to the family barbecues, and Joseph would go to the family meals, and he would sit there sometimes, and I have to think that tears would just escape his eyes, and he would begin to say, God, I never thought Genesis 50 would come, but I'm so glad that I didn't get bitter. I'm so glad that I didn't respond in the flesh when my brothers came. I didn't know you had all these joys for me, but God, you're a wonderful healing, restoring, redeeming, forgiving God, and you brought me here three generations I get to bring up upon my knees. It was impossible for him to ever see his family again, and you might say it's impossible for me to ever have that joy again with God. Nothing is impossible. Oh, it might not look exactly the same. Doesn't mean the scars are not still there. It doesn't mean Joseph, tears are right at the edge of his eyes when he met with his brothers. The pain was still there. It doesn't mean you forget what God brought you through, but it does mean you can glorify him because of what he brought you through. And he can bring you to chapter 42 to chapter 50. Same pattern, same restoring, same joy, same blessing. Which one of those four, are, if you're walking through a trial, is God challenging you about? Correct response in the trial. Correct response in the trial. Closer relationship through the trial. 
complete reliance because of the trial and compassion on your rivals, those that hurt you after the trial. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.